For more episode content, as in photos and show notes, please go to our website, dawnofmantis.com. There you can contact us, and there's also a link to our Patreon. Enjoy the episode. Now we join a car salesman and his potential customer at Space Age Motors in San Bernardino, California. Are you ready to have the most futuristic driving experience available to the consumer? Uh, yeah, I guess. I'm really just looking for a basic commuter car to go back nonsense, and forth. Nonsense, nonsense, fella. Like you deserve something that stands out. Something that not every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the neighborhood has. Well, I guess it wouldn't hurt to look. Bob, have you ever heard of a CAGC system? Uh, CC what? Yes, the Continuous Audible Gauge Cluster. <laughs> no, I can't say that I have. Have a seat here on the Model Z 1000. It's equipped with the CAGC, and let's take it for a spin. Mm, okay. Engine started. Idle. 1000 RPM. All systems. Wow, this, this is pretty cool, Engine actually. I told you. Hey, there's nothing on the dash. Uh, no, 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 sir. It's all 100% audible. No need for all those distracting gauges. Now you keep your eyes on the road. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Now pop this baby and drive, and let's take a ride. Vehicle and drive. First gear. 1100 RPM. One mile. You have two, three, What is it doing? This is what it's designed to do. No, no. No, I can't. Everything's audible. No, I can't do this. Warning. Car braking. Chadron has exited the vehicle. Whoa, Z-1000. What was all that about? Z-1000 did a preliminary credit check on one Robert Bob Anderson and found his credit to be 467, unsuitable for financing. <laughs> Thanks, Z-1G. You really had my back. Please exit the vehicle and go make a sale for once this month. Jeez, okay. You incompetent prick. Quiet your mind. Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But two brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. Okay, we are back and we have survived the stomach flu plague of 2018. Um, both of us were, uh, you know, hit with this thing and some people in our family and, yeah. you know, it's crazy. A lot of people around here are getting that. Um, it, You know, that's such a crazy thing. Uh, you know, I've had it, you know, a lot of times throughout my life and it's just... Uh, it's just like fighting a battle. You're like, okay, if I can just make it, you know, a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I always remember thinking this, like, okay, this is this maybe this will be the last time that I, you know, vomit. Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. And then you then you do it, and you're laying there. It's like, okay, I feel okay. But then a few minutes later, you feel it like coming on again. Oh, like I your hate belly. that feeling. It's like, oh, okay. Well, and I'm like, you know, maybe this next time will be the last time. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, it's it's been crazy, man. You try to sleep, but you know you end up 
getting woken up by that. So yep. it's, just, I, it's just at that point, sleeping is just fast forwarding through a, a terrible time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think we both were fell victim to the same horrible domino effect. Daycare. Sure. Oh yeah. Daycare baby. And that, no one can help that. <laughs> sure. Baby contracts horrible virus at daycare. Yeah. Brings it home to us. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what happened. Yeah, the baby had it the first same with you. Yeah. The first night, and then by the next night, I've got my head in the toilet. My guy was awful. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. And I and it's weird with me, this whole usually I can count years in between the times that I get sick enough to mm. Ralph. Yeah. But this winter I've already it's been two or three times already this winter. It's been a rough it's like yeah. a cycle in my house. Yeah, you guys keep getting it. Yeah, it's like as soon as a couple of us get over it, somebody else gets it and then it's just this vicious cycle. Yeah. <clears throat> and we skipped last week. Or well we didn't skip. We still had an episode. We did it anyway. late, I think. We yeah. had to do it late. Yeah. For, but there yeah. was one night that we were gonna do it, but oh no, we ended up still doing it. My voice was still messed yeah, up from the But it yeah. was messed up from Ralphing. Yeah, just a little just a little off, but yeah. I think it was it was okay. So this week what do we have? Something about cars, I guess. Oh, you y'all are in for a treat. This is such an amazing story. I swear to God, every part of this story is true. You wouldn't think so to hear it because it's just so fantastical. All right. But we are going to be covering the curious tale of the Dale. Okay. All right. Not Chippendale, right? No, no. And do you mean like Chippendale? Okay, that's what. No, I don't even. I don't even. Um. I never think of the Chippendale dancers. Okay. I always right. think of Chippendale, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Because I used to watch that after school. There's every... no danger. Yeah. Yeah. You're, oh, that puts me in the mind of Darkwing Duck since we're yeah. going to take that. Yeah. I, I like that one pretty, you know, in DuckTales. Uh, woo yeah. yeah. That's There's a good show. No... Right, anyway, off the rails <laughs> and it hasn't even been three minutes. That's okay. This is our this is our gig. <laughs> but yeah, this is, this is a really, really awesome story that just popped into me brain and really... Here's the deal. I've got kind of a stack of stories to do laying here. Yeah. And Ivan and I just kind of read, like, I tell them which ones. Hey, what about this one? What about this one? And we kind of go with whatever will have the funniest intro. Yeah. So, you know, we're liking the intros a lot. Um, you know, very self-serving. A chance for us to be, uh-huh. like, silly. Um, we hope you like them, too, because we're just, you know, really just like the way it starts is... Like, what if this? Oh, yeah. And then the guy says this. Oh, yeah. And here's how we ended up. You know, so it's it's really like, you know, I think a lot of people probably do stuff like that. Hey, could you imagine how ridiculous it would be if this happened? Yeah. But the difference is, is we actually record the bit. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, anyway, um, we don't promise to be excellent bit writers, but I think we're getting better. I will say that. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, they make me laugh. That's all I care about. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the Dale. And I'm people are probably already thinking right now, someone named a goddamn car the Dale. Yes, they did. Yeah. Our story begins. Sounds like a car I'd want to own. <laughs> Come look at my uh, Dale. I got a 74 Dale. Yeah. Dale. <laughs> Dude, you got a Dale? No, that's. that's oh, that's great. Yeah, no, it's it not. could have started not. way back. It's then. okay. That's <clears throat> okay. Our story begins, though, in 1973. So we've all heard of the oil crisis that plagued the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. We've all seen the pictures of mile-long lines at the pumps and gas stations with hastily made out-of-fuel signs on their doors. I wonder how much that happened. I always, I, you know, that was before my time. You know, that was that mid-70s? Uh, 73. Yeah, okay, early 70s. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've seen that. I just wonder how, how many times did that happen? Was it just like every once in a while people would run out? 
throughout the whole year. I mean, I it was like, know. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to know that, but we could, we could look that up. It's somewhere. hard to gauge that because I know what you're saying. Like you, when you look back in the protest and stuff, uh, even the protest in the 60s, mm-hmm. I guess some people maybe think that the in every school campus in America. No, yeah. it was yeah. just a few places. Think, yeah. Um, yeah. And it wasn't really like, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Continue. Those fine, images. Sir. Uh, <laughs> were the result of a domino effect that started actually thousands of miles away. In October of 73, a coalition of Arab states led by Egypt and Syria waged a six-day war against Israel. you say Arab? Yeah. Okay. A- or is it Arab? I don't, I don't know. know. Arab. I don't know if you can say Arab. Arab. I, I guess we can. But Arab. I don't it know. Arab. I'm not mess. I'm not. I'm not messing with you. I'm just wondering. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I don't know how I would have pronounced it. No, it should be Arab. I know the people on CNN when they say the Arab Emirates, they don't say the Arab Emirates. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> that might be acceptable nomenclature. I don't Is know. I, I don't know. know. Or, I'm, I'm at. I was asking. I don't know. Well, now I feel like it's a racial slur. No, you Arabs. Can you have? You can't do that. You can't unwittingly. I guess you can. Some people would probably say you can. Yeah. If that is, I didn't mean to do that. No, I know. I know. You you didn't. I probably would have done the same thing. I was just, I, you know, about one thing about this podcast, we can be going and I'm like, hey, I never thought about that. Yeah, before. I need you to do that because I would have said Arab like 10 more times. I don't like that. I don't no, like that I, now that I'm I, it. it could be fine. It it could be fine. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start over. Ready? No, don't start. No, over. no. Now I feel bad. And no, no. <laughs> I, I feel like a nitpicker <laughs> when I was just questioning. In October of 1973, a coalition of Arab states, that does sound way more eloquent. I don't know. Led by Egypt and Syria, waged a six-day war against Israel, which is known uh, as the Yom Kippur War, since one of the days the battle uh, of the battle fell on this holy day. Uh, I think, is that the same day as Ramadan? I, I, don't, I do not know that. It has nothing to do with this. It doesn't matter. It's okay. a great question. <laughs> I'd go into the specifics of why the war happened uh, to keep this thing on track. Let's just say the... You know, the Middle East has been fighting amongst itself for many thousands of years. And you keep it on track, and I try to derail it. That's the difference <laughs> between us. Oh, but yeah, anyways. During the conflict, the United States engaged in a massive resupplying effort to uh, its ally, Israel, as did the Soviet Union to its allies on the opposing side, which at one point almost led to a standoff between the two nuclear powers. As a consequence of helping resupply their enemies, the, organi- the organization of Arab petroleum exporting countries proclaimed an oil embargo, cutting off their supply to the U.S. Uh, until March of 74. This caused oil prices to surge from $3 to $12 per barrel, which in turn caused fuel prices to skyrocket. Yeah. So yeah. that's how. I, I always, And if you think about those cars back then. Dear that God. We, we weren't worried about efficiency at that point. No, that's so funny you said that, because yeah. here's what I had next. Okay, go. This was a particularly bad time for an oil crisis. The 70s was rife with enormous gas-guzzling cars, <laughs> mile-long tuna boats with huge engines and fuel-sucking carburetors. I remember calling them that. That's really? funny. Yeah, we call Tuna them boats? Them. Nice tuna boat. <laughs> yeah. Check this out. I actually looked at some... Um, uh, fuel mileage stats. Oh, the behemoth Lincoln Continental weighed fifty three hundred pounds, had a four sixty big block, and it got seven miles per gallon. That much, huh? The Cadillac Eldorado <laughs> got eight. The Chevy wow. Caprice got nine, uh, as well as oh yeah, as well as cars being produced in seventy three. There were also, to be fair, some decent 
but you kind of had to look outside of the U.S. to get cars sure. with decent gas mileage. Sure. I do I do want to say the American-made Dodge Colt got 27 miles per gallon, but other than that, we had the Datsun 1200, 36 miles a gallon, Toyota Corolla, 35, Volkswagen Beetle, 30, and the Fiat 128 with a whopping 38 miles per gallon. But here in the U.S., most of us were driving 20-foot long tanks that almost had to be rated in gallons per mile instead of the other way around. <laughs> this is something that's weird, though. So since the 60s and early 70s, and maybe even before then, we have been producing cars 38 miles per gallon in the Fiat back mm-hmm. in 73. Yeah. So you can watch a car commercial today, and they're boasting that same amount. How did, in 50 years, 40 years, how has... Look at all the other advances in technology and, mm-hmm. and everything else and, and medical, the medical field and everything. But a car is 38 miles per gallon is still like, damn, that's 38 miles per gallon. Yeah. is really good. Now, that I do kind of crazy. I do take there is like maybe, you know, back then a car that got 38 miles per gallon. It, you better get a run at a hill. Zero yeah. power. I can say yeah. that today we can get good fuel mileage and still have pretty good power. Yeah. And I think I think we're burning fuel more efficiently than ever. You yeah, know, we're getting it's called stoichiometric. I think that's what it's called. Really, and that's that's the ratio of which uh, air and fuel mix to you know spark, and that's how an engine works. Due to fuel you, injection and all that. Yeah, good all stuff. that stuff. And I think now it's something the ratio of what the power we're getting for that, you know, for that. Yeah. What volume of fuel, you know, is is unprecedented to this point. Um, you know, I do think. Um, I just if I had to guess, I would think maybe some of those cars that were getting that may you know maybe we've traded some of that for like uh, longevity. Uh, there might be something to be said for maybe you know because we it. I know you know back even when I was a kid back in the eighties, someone's like, "Hey, this car has hundred twenty thousand miles on it. Looks like I'll be getting a new car in a few <laughs> months." You know, I mean, it's it's they were just they were gone they were gone especially. I'm I'm pro American, you know, obviously, but especially American made cars, they just, you know, pass the one hundred thousand miles, that was their death sentence. Well, you know, you would think that like to me it makes common sense to be like, oh, in seventy three they could make cars that got thirty eight miles a gallon. If you just extrapolate that, we should be getting hundred and forty miles a yeah, gallon. That that does it just to yeah. look at it simply, but yeah, that does yeah. make sense. Um um I mean we're the the technology, the technological side has definitely given us longevity uh, that we could never have before. Um, some of those, like you know, mid to late eighty model, you know, um, Toyotas and Subarus and um, all those, they're they're t- still on the road. Oh yeah, and they're not like overhauled. You know, you see a Chevy that's back from the seventies, you can almost guarantee that it, it's had some major work. If not, yeah, you can overhaul. make them go forever, but yeah, if you yeah, can you got yeah, in there, yeah, or, but. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, I don't know. That's you're you're right. It really should be. Um if we had some kind of engineer that that could tell us, you know, why, I'm sure there's there's probably a pretty good reason why. Maybe um, it's like terminal velocity. There's just only there's so like many a miles. Point. Yeah, there's a point where it's like, look, we're never getting better than that. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't seem like to make sense, but yeah, there might be. I don't know. There might be. Yeah. Yeah. So for five months, the panic lasted, and while Nixon administration in Washington was attempting to negotiate their way out of it. An eccentric inventor was working on his own solution. And this is where we enter the Dale. All right. <clears throat> I can't wait. Oh, it's Dale Clift was an engineer 
who worked for Litton Industries, an electronics manufacturer and military contractor in Southern California. He was also very inventive and known to tinker around on projects in his garage. So when the oil crisis hit, Dale was inspired or maybe frustrated into setting about uh, creating a cheap, fuel-efficient vehicle. He and a co-worker from Lytton went to work and had soon built an odd-looking three-wheeled vehicle out of used motorcycle parts with some colorful fabrication. The front wheels used forks like a motorcycle. The engine was a 305cc twin from a Honda CB77 Superhawk. Uh, he made the vehicle street legal and got it registered to drive, albeit as a custom motorcycle. Although the car could get him from point A to point B, there were still many bugs to be worked out. Carbon monoxide leaked into the cabin, the brakes barely worked enough to stop the thing, and he had done no crash testing on the body whatsoever. Nevertheless, Dale drove the car all over the San Fernando Valley to the curious gaze of onlookers. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah, it does sound cool. It sounds fun to just like... Let's invent a car. What's it going to look like? What can we do? That'd it sounds like with some hard work and ingenuity, he could really have had something, right? Yeah. That's not what happened, I bet. No. Okay. It is not. <laughs> and for those of you, it, uh, look up, just just Google the Dale car or okay. whatever. Yeah. And you'll see what this thing looked like. So <clears throat> one of those curious onlookers happened to be associated with business entrepreneur Elizabeth Carmichael. They put Dale into contact with her. And when she saw the uh, uh, she saw enormous potential in the strange little vehicle, she approached Dale with an offer. Carmichael was brilliant at promotion and told Dale that with her backing, they could pa- mass produce. I'm sorry, I can't read tonight for some reason. No, you're good. They could mass produce the vehicle and make a fortune. She promised him three million dollars in royalties once the Dale went into production. With his go ahead, Carmichael set up an office in Encino and started promoting the vehicle. Shockingly called the Dale. So just that's the first name of the dude that invented it. it yeah. Step him. one, better name. Yeah. I know, right? You know, the Dale. I, I mean, when you think about it, I'm, it might just be one of those things where it's like, it's such a bad name. It's so crazy. It just might work. It just might work. Yeah. It's not like anything else. And when you think about it, if you would go back before, we're just used to names. So we think, yeah, that's true. Like oh, if it would have been a hit. I mean, we would have probably been, you know, you know, we would have just been the Dale. Yeah. Everyone knows it as the Dale. In 76, if you started a band, that could have been the greatest band ever. But they're like, we're going to call ourselves the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, that's, be like, that's yeah. the stupidest damn that's name true. I've ever heard. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Um, Hindsight's 2020. Exactly. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so she started up the Dale. She started um, promoting it quite heavily. She also started the 20th Century Motor Car Corporation. With the Dale as its flagship vehicle, the tiger, no the lion, <laughs> whatever. It is. So I, I see the like the searchlights, and you have the car sitting there. In front yeah, of that <laughs> reminds me of Christine. <laughs> um, immediately, her claims about the car became outrageous, shocking even its inventor, Dale Clift. She claimed the car had a revamped BMW two-cylinder motorcycle engine, which generated 40 horsepower that got 70 miles per gallon and and could still cruise easily at 85 miles an hour. She said despite its three-wheel design, its low center of gravity made it almost impossible to flip over, and she claimed the vehicle was made from nearly indestructible space-age materials. Space-age. We don't don't do that anymore. No. You don't hear anything... No, no there was a, a time for that. Yeah. You know, and also atomic. There was there was the atomic age and oh, everything yeah. was like, you know, atomic age plastics. Yeah. And stuff like that. It's just funny how we ride those, you know, we ride those like uh trends. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, 
now I don't think you could settle anything as space age or, or atomic or atomic. I, I wouldn't. Don't, I don't know what it would be now. The asbestos age. I guess time. maybe now it's probably like, you know, high definition. I mean, yeah. Maybe that's kind of our the space digital age. age. Digital age. That's it. Yeah. But now, but you can't sell anything and, and just like promote it as digital because everything's digital. Yeah, you're right. We should sell something and promote it as analog. <laughs> The analog age. Yeah. It's now time to step back. Hipsters would buy it. Static. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this thing also supposedly had a circuit-ready dashboard that would allow accessories to be plugged into it. This is in 73. I mean, that's that's very forward thinking. Yeah. Too bad there was nothing behind it. But anyway, all this for under $2,000. Wow. A six-page promotional pamphlet was produced calling the Dale the first space-age car and a car, quote, designed and built like it was ready to be driven to the moon. <laughs> so there we go. They're just they're just hammering that for all they can get out of it. <laughs> she, it you can go to the moon in this car. Exactly. That's, you know, that's a claim you could make because who, how is it ever going to get in space? You know, this that's car can drive on I the moon. I tried to take it to the moon. It wouldn't go. <laughs> Uh, she projected sales the first year at 88000 and the second year at 250000 And Carmichael was an avid salesman um, or saleswoman. And her opinion of herself was no less than that of her car. A few direct quotes from her are, and I'm, this is true, I'm going to knock the hell out of Detroit. I'll rule the auto industry like a queen. And uh, another one is, I don't want to sound like an egomaniac, but I'm a genius. Yeah. I'm going to make cars great again. <laughs> They're going to be huge. Or small. Or small. Because huge is the They're problem. not. Believe me, they're not small. Believe me. <laughs> uh, her outlandish claims and fierce confidence struck a chord with inventors and other entrepreneurs eager to get on board with the car of the future. Before 20th Century Motors had amassed over $30 million in investments. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Everyone uh, was excited for the deal. It was even featured as a top prize on an episode of The Price is Right before the car was even in production. See, here's here's where I think the ultimate folly is. Even though, you know, we're kind of reading into this as a scam, right? Mm -hmm. But if if the promoter had the engineer, you know, like maybe her first priority was to get the engineer to make the stuff true. Like, you work on this, you know, I'm going to give you some time. Probably didn't want to give them some time because him or her, because they probably just want to make money right off the bat. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, if you had the promoter and then you had somebody that could actually pull off some of it, it might have worked. Yeah. But it was wasn't it all promotion and no. I wanted to rhyme with promotion right there, and I couldn't do it. There's no good word that. And no, not enough and devotion. No devotion. <laughs> oh man, we should go back and like clip it and make it where I did it perfect. Well, you're exactly right though. Yeah, I keep giving stuff away, but. No, I think I, that was a segue. We wouldn't be doing a podcast on on it if it was like, and then all the claims it all worked were, out. Yeah, and yeah. everyone lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, imagine if we did a true crime like that. Yeah, they were almost murdered, and but, then you know they're it fine. Out. It they they out found okay. them. Update: She was fine. Yeah, she just went to the store and didn't tell anyone. Oh man! Oh, that five Nancy. minute podcast. Yeah. So you know the famous saying, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence? I think Carl Sagan, that was one of his things he said. Oh, that was that originated with him? Well, he said that. I don't know if that, he, he probably didn't originate that, but he said that a lot. 
Well, he was right. Really dealing with like UFOs and ghosts and things like that. Yeah. You know, bring the evidence. Right. Well, yeah. oddly enough, throughout this entire process of promoting the Dale, being featured in magazines and newspapers, and basically named the car of the future by a self-proclaimed genius, no one had really bothered to actually investigate Carmichael or her future car. Why would you? Right. It just was great. Everyone was excited for it. Let's do this. Yeah. Just shut up and take my money. <laughs> With all this hoopla, others in the industry began to think this looked too good to be true and started having doubts. It turned out that Elizabeth Carmichael was quite the mysterious figure. Every time she was interviewed, she had a different backstory. One day she was a farm girl from Indiana who built her first car at 18. Then the next day she was an ex-stock car racer. The next day she was a businesswoman from the University of Miami. Uh, in one interview, she was an OSU graduate with multiple degrees, and then finally a mother of five whose NASA structural engineer husband had died in 1966. And those were only just the beginning uh -oh. of the lies. Oh, man. In January. I don't like this character one bit. <laughs> in late January 1975, 20th Century Motor Car Corp salesman and former public relations representative William D. Miller was found murdered in his Encino office. Oh, I didn't know it had murder in it. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> the victim of four gunshot wounds to the head. The the, yeah, the prime suspect was fellow employee Jack Oliver, who, it was soon discovered, had previously served with Miller in San Quentin Prison. Bum, bum, bum. It just gets better and better. Okay. This brought the spotlight on the company and its eccentric founder even more. And when several local Southern California TV stations came a-snooping, they found literally nothing was quite as it was portrayed to be. But the final nail in the coffin could have been when car and driver photographer Mike Salisbury came to investigate the Dale. Instead of a state-of-the-art, space-age, rocket-shell resin-covered supercar, he found a hastily slapped-together prototype that wouldn't even move under its own power. Mm. The futuristic body shell was actually fiberglass-covered plywood. The interior didn't even have a steering wheel or a gas pedal. A quote from Car and Driver's article is as follows. The vehicle is fed by a lawnmower carburetor sloppily welded to the end of a lead pipe. The rear end was a Ford differential cut in half and mounted to one wheel. The transmission, a Toyota automatic, was stuck into the rear end with no drive shaft. Wow. That's pretty space age. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that kids in a... In, in shop class yeah, could could slap together. It is insane. Yeah. It is insane. Despite these revelations and two cease and desist orders, 20th Century Motors put a Dale on display at the 1975 Los Angeles Auto Show, Ooh. promising high-volume production, pr production Sorry, by late June of that year. By this point, even the car's creator, Dale Clift, saw the writing on the wall, and he resigned from the project. He was so intimidated by his former boss that he purchased a gun and carried it on his person constantly. Because Liz Carmichael was quite intimidating. <laughs> you just <laughs> I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat There's here. more. There, it what's gets... what's going to happen next? With all this heat, Liz Carmichael fled California and landed in Farmer's Branch, Texas, where instead of hiding out, she astonishingly renamed the Dale the Ravette and continued promoting the car. Revette. The Revette. Man, sounds like Corvette quite a bit. Hey, wasn't that, uh, wasn't that, uh, oh, what was his name? 
and Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> oh, no, that was Trivette. Never mind. <laughs> Just had the worst. I've watched as many. <laughs> I haven't watched that show in a long time. Oh, I never watched it on purpose, but my my first wife's father was a total addict. Oh, that show. really? Every time we went over there, Chuck Norris was roundhouse kicking some guy on TV. So. Yeah, how'd you like to get kicked with cowboy boots? Yeah. Oh. It's a little bit excessive. Yeah. By excessive Chuck Norris. Excessive force. No less. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then... <laughs> But back in California, her web of lies were still coming to light. It was soon found out that this multi-million dollar entrepreneur had never even had a license to sell stock, own a business, or sell cars. By March of 75, the entire Dale concept had been shown to be a total fabrication. But one of the biggest surprises was yet to come. When authorities finally arrested Elizabeth Carmichael in April of 75, they discovered that, along with everything else, she had also lied about her identity and dun 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 her gender. Yeah. Geraldine. So imagine frisking her down. You know? <laughs> Ace Ventura. Yeah, yeah. Your gun is sticking into my hip. <laughs> <sighs> Poor police officer. Goes home and takes a shower like he did in that movie. <laughs> oh, Geraldine Elizabeth Carmichael was actually Jerry Dean Michael a fugitive who had escaped from prison in 1961. Now, it must be said that throughout her dealings with the press, investors, and the public, it was not lost on many that this six-foot-two, 225-pound woman with her large hands and deep voice may have been a dude. But for some reason, and my hat's off to the people back in the 70s for this, it wasn't really an issue. That's, that's what the story said. A, f- a few were like, uh, we thought maybe it, w- maybe it was a cross-dresser, but we were just like, whatever floats your boat. Hey, he, she had a good idea. Yeah. So <laughs> what's that have to do with that? Anything, right. You know, right. she had I'm a good not. opportunity. So yeah, <laughs> that's all they were interested in. So, yeah. I mean, that would, this was California as well. Yeah. So California in 73 was kind of like everywhere else in 2012. They were maybe a little bit ahead like that. Yeah. I think maybe uh, if she, of course it says she moved to Texas then and, and did the same, tried to do the same thing. But anyway. I don't know. Yeah, it's um, crazy. In her subsequent subsequent trial, Carmichael represented herself and unbelievably still promoted the idea of the Dale, even comparing herself to Henry Ford. She claimed no fraud was committed because she would have eventually got the project off the ground and delivered on her promises, like you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. The jury deliberated for 16 days and found her guilty on 26 counts. She was sentenced to 10 to 20 years, and ordered to pay $30,000 in restitution. Carmichael had other plans, though, and after posting a $50,000 bail, she disappeared once again. But hmm. it was okay, because she was only gone for a little bit. and then they co- No, no, she was gone for nine years! Nine years? Yes. Golly. Not a trace of Elizabeth Carmichael was found and f- for nine years, until her story was covered on an episode of... Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. one 800 uh, 876-5353. Somebody <laughs> called in on her. Him. They did. Following that episode, tips came in that led investigators update. right to her. Yeah. I wonder if they did an update. I don't know. Probably. Carmichael, who was then using the name Catherine Elizabeth Johnson, was found running a small roadside flower selling operation in the town of Dale, Texas. You're kidding me. I shit you not. Oh, they'll never look for me here. <laughs> Man, that's that's man. Truth is is stranger than fiction. Isn't sometimes. it great? 
Jerry or Elizabeth <laughs> or Catherine or whatever you want to call him. Selling flowers. Or her, yes, in wow. Dale, Texas. Served another 10 years in prison after this final capture. Now, I couldn't find anything else <laughs> after his or her release, except that a few years later, he or she died uh, in 2004 of cancer. Oh, okay. Um, and for the man who started it all with his little concept, Dale Clift, he never saw the $3 million he was promised. In the end, he received a total of $1,001 in cash with a follow-up payment of $2,000 in the form of a check that bounced. Yeah, of course it did. And so mm. ends the curious, amazing, stupefying tale of the Dale. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the story. It's just because, I don't know, it might not be nice, but I like the fact that people with too much money, you know, the whole classic thing of, uh, you know, playing poker. I forget where I heard this. It might be from a movie. It might be from that Matt Damon movie. But the only mistake you can have in cards in poker is to let a chump keep their money. You know, and and then there's another saying like if uh, if you're at a table and you can't figure out who that is, it's you. But anyway, um, I kind of like the idea in a way. It's not it's not right to say this probably, but I like the idea that someone would be dumb enough to pony up all this money and think there's some kind of like, quote unquote, investor. Right. Right. And just I mean, why not take a ride in it before you give all this money? Yeah. At least, I mean, that would have, that would have solved it. Yeah. Like if she would have went on Shark Tank. Yeah. I think one of them may have been like, well, is there one in the parking lot? Yeah. Let's take him. No, there's not exactly, but. Even, even if, even if you didn't have one that was working, say it's like, oh, it's a prototype. We're working on it. We went, we went should be an early investor. Okay. Show me your first, show me your detailed schematics or, or a schematic. I mean, she might've had that. I don't know. They had like real simple ones, but an engineer yeah. looking at it would have been like, okay, wait though. Yeah. Yeah. So. If you got enough money to invest, don't you have, have enough money to, to call a local university and get some mechanical engineer say, hey, I'll give you 500 bucks if you look at these drawings. And tell, you know, I, I'm just saying there's something that I kind of like about it, um, you know, that someone thought they were smarter than, oh, well, that's a great investment. I'm going to, it's probably the fact that, you want to be so early that yeah. you don't want to take the time to be cautious. Yeah, yeah. Because she probably sold, he, whatever, they they probably sold it as, you know, hey, get in early on this. I've got, you know, i got somebody calling me back in five minutes. He's going to take the, the your share or whatever. I Have you heard that famous story about the dude that was an early, he was on board with Apple, like, right from the beginning? Oh, I, I think. Yeah, I, I I've think heard when, of similar stories like this. Well, but, he yeah. like sold his whatever when he uh, he sold his heart in it. Yeah, to buy like an eight track player for his Firebird or some uh, okay. bullshit thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a true story. It really? Sounds, yeah, like I I read that. It's actually a and he got early in on that. Yeah, it was something like that. I wish I had more information. Yeah, but, or he no, was I one of the ones that. Though. He was in on the ground floor, but I just remember reading. And if someone you know knows knows the actual story, you can you can tell it to us or whatever. But yeah, uh, I know I know that's true. I saw it on uh, the the documentary of Apple. Oh, okay. There's some documentary about Steve Jobs or something. Yeah. But anyway, it said the guy was like, "No, you know, I, I, when I want to listen to Journey, I want to listen to Journey." <laughs> so Bob Seger, you know, so he sold his and bought an eight track 
tape player. Really? Yeah. And wow. <laughs> I I would wish that like 40, 50 years later, if he's just like, oh, that would be. Don't terrible. regret it. Don't you know, regret the, it. The more you you read into like business and things like that, the more that you find those characters. Like one of the guys that should have made a killing on like radio, he's basically responsible for. I think, if I'm not mistaken, FM. Like, he did a lot of work. Like, AM was fine, but it's, you know, long distances, you get interference and thing like things like that. Yeah. So this guy, I wish I could remember his name, but he was like a pioneer um, of FM radio. And so much so that some people in AM thought, oh, this FM thing, that's not going to work. You know, and obviously it's, a you know, a lot better setup. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this guy died broke, you know. Alone broke. I think he might have committed suicide. Really? Tesla. Uh, Nikola oh, yeah. Tesla. That's that's, a sad that's story. another one. Um, um, the the um, McDonald brothers. McDonald brothers. They ended up with some money at the end of their lives. Oh, but they sold out to Ray Kroc, right? Yeah, and that you know, <clears throat> um, you know they they were hosed over that deal um, at the end. Um, it's just. Um, that's kind of what I hate about business, you know, because you there's so many stories like that. Yeah, like just and like the the good guy, like the the Dale guy, you know. He's he, of course that no one made money off of that, but he still, you know, lost his, you know, tail on it or whatever. Yeah, and you know he did good in other areas, obviously, but you know the manager of the Beatles, Brian Epstein. Oh yeah, when he was yeah. approached to do, I think it was T-shirts and posters or whatever mm-hmm. it was, maybe just T-shirts. He was like. I don't think that's very lucrative. So he sold those rights for like 50 grand (laughs) and they, it's been an estimated loss of like in the billions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that if they would have kept that in, in house or whatever. Yeah. And going back to that Pete best, I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. Original drummer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then the documentary about, um, sound city that Rick Springfield sold out his contract when right before he kind of peaked. Oh really? And so the guys that the guy that basically discovered him, he basically dropped him and then, you know, so it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that's the nature of it. Um, but it's just, you know, you know, we talk about capitalism sometimes and, you know, all this all these things in business. Hey, this this guy, you know, came from nothing and now he's a millionaire. It's like there's there's a lot of those stories, but there's a lot of like somebody was a better business person and legally stole from someone else and they yeah. end up you know it's yeah. it's 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 i guess there's you know good and bad but you know once it just seems like to me the the more i get into it the more i find the bads yeah and i'm not anti-capitalist but i you know it's just uh you know you get a big lawyer and you have a lot of money and you know the person that's right it doesn't matter because they're eventually going to break because they don't have anything. Yeah, I don't you know? think we're cutthroat enough, maybe, to make it in the in the business world. <laughs> I mean, all but see, all it would take is, you know, let's let's say you know we got into a band or whatever, and cut a song and it went crazy. You know, the first thing you're gonna have to do is hire hire a lawyer and oh, a yeah. team. You know, sign get signed and all that stuff, and then it's not going to matter because they're going to come to you and they're going to say, here's your options. You know, you can screw over this guy and, you know, give him a one-time check and the song's never his again, even though he wrote part of it. Yep. 
or you can do this and he'll always own part of that and he could sue you and take it, you know, so it's like, you're just like forced into this, you know, crazy, you know, world. Yeah. I mean, Elvis was still doing okay, but by the end of his career, Colonel Tom Parker, his mm-hmm. manager, he was yeah. taking over, I think it was over 50%. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's those early contracts. They, they really, they've gotten a lot of artists you know, uh, uh, Goo Goo Dolls. That's a famous story. Oh, really? Like their first that that record that they made. Um, whenever Name came out, um, that wasn't even supposed to be the title track played. Some DJ in some big city started playing that track. Really? And it started catching on, and everyone wanted to play it, and it went crazy. You know, the rest of that album's pretty heavy. They're a pretty heavy band. Um, so, um, did I say Goo Goo Dolls? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was making sure. I didn't say another band, but then, um, like that contract was that they had on that record with with whoever they signed with was crap. It was a crap record. They got hosed, huh? Yeah, and they had they didn't make anything off that record. They made money off of touring. You know that's how they survived. They just yeah. had to tour, tour, tour. You know, so uh, in fact, there's a like on that tour. There's I think there's pictures or or I read about it or something. That he had a guitar, that on on the you know down by the where the strings come out, it's uh, where the volume knobs and all that stuff. There's a big giant sticker that said "Lawyers suck," <laughs> and that was his guitar that he played on that tour a lot. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, because think about it. I mean, you you don't have anything, and someone's like, "Well, I'll sign you," but here's the conditions. And they're probably thinking they're never going to make it big. Right, right. They're probably like, hey, we do pretty good if we don't make it big. You know, I mean, maybe they didn't, that didn't even cross their mind. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But it's like, let's just sign it so we can be a signed band. And Party would just be so excited anyone was paying attention to you. Yeah. Like someone in a suit paid attention to me. What? Yeah, exactly. Also, yeah, I'll do whatever you say. Yeah. So, and then, you know, of course, they've done well since. But anyway, it's crazy. There's a crazy story. There's a crazy yeah. story, and that's yeah. why we covered it. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I guess next week, you know what's funny is I just realized at the end of last week's episode, we uh, we teased the two stories that we were going to do, one or the other, and then we did a third <laughs> one that we didn't even talk about. We gotcha. We gotcha. <laughs> we will do those stories. We, we want to talk about them one more time, or should we not do that again? <laughs> no, I want to do it. I want to commit, because I'm really excited to do this. I like, do- I, you had three good ideas. And we just pick the one that we can make a bit off of. Exactly. Yeah. So just just like out of the, the last episode at the end of it, we're either the next episode is either going to be the disappearance of Connie Converse, which I think would be super fun. Um, it's really interesting anyway. And then trying to dissect and understand the this bizarre Chinese yeah. social credit system that's yeah. being implemented as we speak. Yeah. E- either one of those would be a great episode. Yeah. Um, or if we just... You know, one of us might say, hey, let's do one about why gerbils are cute. <laughs> you know, I love their beady little eyes. No, yeah, let's no. let our daughters choose a topic. Yeah. Why gerbils are cute. We could have a wheel. Well, let's make a wheel. Wheel of topics. <laughs> you know, that cool. would actually be cool. Yeah, man. There was another. Uh, <laughs> we might do this one at some point, but another folk singer. The dude's name was Jim Sullivan and he disappeared in 1974. But what's funny about this actually really like his songs oh yeah he only released two albums they never went anywhere he was kind of disgruntled the second album was called ufo 
Mm-hmm. And the title track on the song or on the album was called UFO. And the lyrics talk about crossing the desert and meeting a space alien and being abducted by UFO. Well, I'll be goddamned if a few months later he's driving from California to Nashville <laughs> to make a new start in Nashville. His car is found in the New Mexico desert. Uh empty he's never been seen again and then you know uh, the, just the similarities with that one song and sure. stuff no not it not anyone honestly thinks he was abducted but it's it's an ironic thing and it's a interesting story that i like kind of freaky yeah. I, I guess i'd never write a song about being abducted by aliens then no because that's because they're listening they're like oh we got another one we gotta go pick up <laughs> he's telling everyone get Get them, Glorg. No, <laughs> but Glorg. no, that that one's a terrible seems name really for alien. A, for an alien. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, that yeah. So one of those two, and then uh, yeah, I like the Sullivan one. That's cool. Yeah, and, and I, I want to play, we'll some, play of some music. Yeah, play some of his music. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, well, that's it for this one. We'll see you next time, and we promise we'll do one of those. Dawn of Mantis, Dawn of Mantis, things mysterious, things fantastic.